0: Namaste. So our life ordinarily moves in a narrow zone. You're muted uh, alone. Okay. Excuse me, but I muted you during the uh, meditation. Yes. Namaste. So our life ordinarily moves in a narrow bandwidth of what we call as life, which is between birth and death. And what happens before birth… I mean not the process that takes place in the mother's womb, Uh, the process is known to us, but is there an existence before birth and what happens after death, these two are the great mysteries, the mysterious darkness that surrounds a life and based on the answers that we give to these mysteries, these questions that have vexed mankind, (coughs) our life and its philosophies are shaped the way we look at life, the way we live life. At one extreme, of course, the darkness is accepted as an original darkness and our sensory experience, the soul knowledge. And seen from this angle, from the point of view of the surface mind and the uh, material senses, uh, we hastily conclude that there is indeed nothing before birth and nothing that remains after death. This is the ordinary intellect's position. Having taken it, there is something in us which still strives for being good. Something in us which still strives for progress, for perfection, which is a paradox. Because logically, if there is nothing before birth and nothing after death, the logical uh, thing should be, to well, just let life be or the sooner the better it ends. But somehow, there is something in man... An incorrigible something that uh, continues to strive. It, it strives in the shadow of death to leave its own stamp, its mark, to immortalize a moment's work, to leave behind a legacy, maybe a small little legacy, maybe a material legacy, maybe children. Somehow there is in, in us human beings... The impulse towards immortality, as if somewhere somewhere within us we believe that, well, all does not end with death, even as all does not begin only with the process of, in the womb of the mother. So, it is this mystery to which there are different answers. There is this one answer that there is nothing before and nothing after, with which we are very familiar. And death, the main protagonist. I mean, the the main, we, we can use the word protagonist or antagonist, whichever way, represents this kind of vision, which is the vision of darkness. Death represents the voice of darkness, the voice of ignorance. And this voice we are familiar with, it speaks from rooftops, it speaks sometimes in our mind, echoes in our thoughts. And we know that, all kinds of systems, philosophies have been woven around it. We need not go into that. But human thought climbs further and it begins to see that despite the shadow of death, something in us not only wants to survive, there is something in us. The, the instinct to survive is strangely uh, very very I find it very strange because it's a direct contradiction to the so-called reality that death exists. There is something in life that it wants to live. There is something in life which wants to extend itself. There is something in life which wants to prolong its own existence, its own journey. So when we look at it a little higher from, from a higher mind perspective or even a rational perspective, we just wonder whether this is all or there is something in us which looks intuitively divines beyond these first and last finalities. Thought can climb still further and it can begin to look at the human body with which we believe that our journey begins and ends as simply a vehicle through which the soul or something moves, gathers the experiences and after the experiences are done or rather after the vehicle is broken, it leaves aside the vehicle and travels on in another vehicle. This is another kind of vision, another kind of thought that one life is a journey, and in this journey, the body is just a vehicle, its machineries are much like as we see that you know, a computer. This analogy is very good that uh, in a computer, we, we type the fingers, type on some letters, and words appear on the computer as if magically. Because that's how the machinery has been programmed. So nature has evolved over a period of time, millenniums, such intricate and complex processes. Actually, that is one thing which immediately makes us believe that there is a divine um, consciousness, a a very intelligent consciousness, which has designed this universe and helps in its evolutions. One of the arguments that Savitri uh, presents, that if in a small sperm and gene, a thinking sage is shut Isn't it a miracle So It's an everyday miracle It's it's unbelievable The way our brain has developed The way the nervous system has developed That it picks up signals It transduces them It transmutes them into images Words, sentences Meanings And then there is a response Which is something very amazing So when we look at life from that perspective We do understand that the body is a machine And the cell itself is a machine, it's like a vessel which receives, it's like a container. And uh, even though cells are built on the same plan, that's the beauty of it. Uh, Every liver cell in all the human beings will function in the same way. The brain cells will function in the same way. The heart cells will function in the same way, same machinery. Yet, they can contain very different kinds of information, energy, consciousness, and release. That's why, you know, we give very different responses to situations, circumstances. So, cell appears, cell and the human body, of course, appears as a vessel in which, uh, you know, uh, consciousness through which consciousness and energy expresses itself. Energy moves and consciousness expresses itself uh, in it, in our dealings with the world. So, this uh, spiritual thought already tells us, uh, it adds to it that behind this... Uh, human body, there is something which gathers this consciousness, this entire journey experiences. And mind reacts with good and evil. It reacts with pleasance uh, and pain. And yet something behind draws all these experiences, grows through the experiences and travels on. And that's where we see that the whole cycle of rebirth comes. The idea of rebirth is basically that we are on an evolutionary journey And our life in a particular body is like one classroom or travelling in a particular vehicle up to a point. When the time comes, we must leave the vehicle because it has grown old. It is not capable, not uh, able to lift us further and we change the vehicle. So this is how the journey goes on. So there is this psychic being within which grows and grows and grows through the experience. Now this also has been in some way or the other... uh, directly, indirectly mentioned in different spirit kinds of spiritual thought. The question is, uh, what happens when it has developed to its fullest point? Uh, the soul has recognizes itself. It recognizes that there is the uh, divine consciousness which is beyond and above. And what should it do? So the traditional answer is that, well, it has completed its journey it has completed its schooling process and now all that it needs to do is to merge into the divine and become one with it. And if it doesn't want to merge, it it can still continue to help others come to that point where they can easily merge with the divine. So this is the traditional answer. Now, Sraubinda and the mother take this to yet another level that if merger with the divine and Annulling ourselves in the divine Was the last word Of this complex Long Painful Laborious uh, Evolutionary process Then it's a Paltry end And it's a It's a strange ending To an epic It's like At the end of the epic We end up Where we began So soul Begins with uh, it, it knows the divine And then it enters Into the play And it ends up back To where it came There is There uh, is It doesn't make sense. So that's where we know uh, that this missing piece of the puzzle, Sri and the Mother um, bring to us that, well, all this journey has a meaning. And then we can begin to see that, uh, again, I'll uh, read from Savitri subsequently, that there is in human beings a double nature. And how this double nature operates is, there is the surface mind and the senses, and they, the nature which is made of ignorance. And this ignorance, uh, ignorant nature, believes that what we see, hear, touch, sense, uh, smell, that alone is true. Whatever surface mind thinks and believes alone is true. But there is a deeper nature which still strives for an ideal. Despite no, everybody knows that, you know, I mean, from the sensory point of view, that. They are going to die. We see, look at this world and this world seems so imperfect. And yet we strive for perfection. We strive for a perfect love, perfect understanding, perfect knowledge, perfect strength, perfect joy, perfect peace. So there is this double nature on one side. There is the nature of ignorance which shows us things as they are, at least to sensory uh, appearances. And there is this other nature which is striving for them to be otherwise. And it is this tussle which is represented, which is taken to its uh, ultimate level in Savitri, that this deeper nature which strives to express itself and all conscious humanity has within it this urge for perfection. This urge for something more beautiful to express in life, despite all the contradictions. And it is something very interesting and strange. Now in the beginning, this ideal is completely submerged. In the beginning of the journey, when the psychic being is very small, uh, we live as if this material existence is all. We may be very well uh, educated, literate, we may have degrees, we may have wealth, but uh, we are limited uh, by this material vision and we completely deny any existence which can be even considered as an existence beyond, let alone God, let alone anything else. This is the position of these strict material scientists. And in the beginning, death takes that position. It completely denies any greater reality. So, we see death takes different positions, um, uh, which we can identify as evolutionary layers of humanity. The first position is, there is nothing greater. There is nothing deeper. Material reality is the sole reality. And uh, well, within it, You can get some joy. That's all. And that joy, death says, are also joys that I have granted. In the sense, um, living in the darkness, living by the darkness, living for the darkness, some light, some joy can come into our lives. This is the extreme position taken on one end of the spectrum. But then, it is also true that as the journey goes on, a second layer of humanity appears, a second level, at which we take death as a challenge And uh, even when we don't strive to conquer death, we try to understand it. We try to see that whether I can still establish some kind of an ideal within the limited framework of my life. And there are people who strive, uh, whether they succeed or not, it's a different matter. Uh, Even though we all know that life is transient, um, everything tends to uh, go down, yet we want to Uh, create some sense of permanence in all we are, all we do. So this is the second position that human beings take as this soul develops mm, within us. And then there is the third position where we turn to, we feel there is something which we don't know. We begin to feel stifled. Because this darkness, however how muchsoever oppressive it may appear, how muchsoever real it may appear. Something in us feels that this cannot be the beginning and end of life. This, this is not all that is. And then we begin to seek, is there a reality beyond this little framework of human life? That's where the spiritual life truly begins. And uh, as the mother says, that's why it is called as a new birth. It's a birth into the light. Like a plant emerges, uh, the seed emerges from the... Um, uh, darkness uh, of the below the earth to the little ray of light above and then a new journey begins new exploration begins when new kind of set of experiences begin to enter into our consciousness for example uh, one uh, has a thought coming from heights like a revelation one suddenly is moved by the love of god one suddenly has the urge to obey the divine or fulfill the divine will So how does death counter that? That also is there in Savitri and these voices will hear. So death says, look here, all these things are hallucinations because uh, something in man, is there is a malady. Ideal is a malady of the mind. (laughs) He even says, this malady is given to man by the gods. They are just goading, uh, goading humanity to try and do some unnatural things. So it again it tries to either deny those experiences or it tends to explain away those experiences as odd phenomena, as freaks, as a mix of illusion because we hope and want and wish life to be beautiful. Therefore, our mind tricks with us and conjures and creates images and creates experiences. Now, as a psychiatrist, I am well aware of, you know, people taking this position and I have had so many discussions with regard to this. <clears throat> so, in the end, it means that no upward labour, no spiritual life, it, it doesn't have a... It, it, it is an illusory reality, so to say. It's like a dream and these dreams can never be real. Now, here Savitri steps in and Savitri says, well, I know what I am speaking. These things are real and they are true. And death says, how are you saying that it is true? On what basis you are saying? Your experience is fine. You have your own experience. Everybody can have their own experience. But death says, I am telling you, all your experiences, this idea of ideal love, flawless happiness, are ultimately maladies of the mind. Now Savitri starts showing us step by step. The entire journey from... Before material creation And how step by step To start with material forms are created Birth takes place Because to understand the mystery of death One needs to understand the mystery of birth What is hidden in this darkness Which uh, takes form This form, first appearances The atomic or the subatomic particles Emerging out of some primal darkness Where does it come from? (coughs) Logically it cannot come from anywhere from the void unless there is something hidden out there. Only what is hidden in the void can emerge. So there is hidden in it a material possibility of material existence. So it emerges as stars and you know, this wonderful vast material world. Uh, when she says all this, that says, okay, I, maybe yes, but you know, I am the one who have created it. <laughs> so, sounds very logical because we see these stars and this entire material creation emerging out of the darkness. But obviously, if, if it was not there within uh, its womb of darkness, it would not emerge. So, then Savitri speaks about that, look, uh, go one step further and see how beauty breaks through flowers and leaves and consciousness climbs and uh, uh, the, the beast and the bird and how um, they snatch their own share of bliss. Look at this joy which is in creation. And death says, uh, maybe, but uh, you know, it is me who has given this little joy. Human beings don't know this joy I can snatch at any point of time. And they want this joy, this is so uh, meaningless. So he tries to make all this meaningless um, and aimless. It says that, well, I don't mind if human beings want to value in this little bit of joy. But there is no reality about it. If there is a God, He is alone. He has nothing to do with this world. So He begins to admit. Now we see gradually the change is coming in death. So this is what is uh, this story is about the transmutation of death. <coughs> and as death gets transmuted, we human beings who live on its food, we also start getting transmitted. In in the original story, it is Yamaraj changing into Dharma Raj. So then Savitri says, well... You admit that there is bliss, you admit that there is, uh, you know, love, even if it is transient. He says, yes, there is love, but you know, it dies. There are thousand ways to die. There is a very interesting, humorous pages that uh, love exists, but it has a thousand ways to die. Even a casual remark, a little word, it can destroy it. So, (laughs) he is speaking a kind of truth and Savitri says that death, I know you are speaking a truth, but truth that slays. You are showing only the partial one side of real things. You are not showing the deeper truth. So what is the deeper truth? The triumph of love. And what really love stands here? Now we see more and more that gradually things begin to become clear. Death here is the shadow, the inconscience out of which everything is emerges. So how this inconscience came into existence? Uh, it is because the divine... Entered into creation, so there is a force which goes away from the center and it goes far and wide and far and wide. And we can use it as we can say, use the term as centrifugal force, it it goes far and wide and it occupies the dark fields. Ultimately, it enters into the darkness completely. We know that story of involution. So, always on in creation. There is acting a force which is taking us away from the center and toward the darkness there it is b- by the very fact that the original that too is the divine action which has because of which inconscience has been created. So we have this centrifugal force pulling us down. We can use the word force of disintegration. It disintegrates it's like we climb up to a point and after that point those are plates, snakes and ladder know that suddenly at 99 there is a snake which will bring you down to 2. So there is this force which is always acting upon us, which is pulling us down, down, further disintegrating. It is because of this there is chaos, tendency towards chaos, disorder and disease and all these things. Of course, Savitri replies that yes, that power has been given to you, but it is so that A fixed order can be destroyed and new orders can emerge. Now, this is something which death cannot understand. It believes that, no, I am the one where this is law, this is how things will be. They will grow and they will collapse after some time. And Savitri says, what you have not seen is that after the collapse, they grow back again and there is a change. Now, this is what we can observe in life when we take through large spaces of time. Very often people ask that, you know, we still see evil, we still see all these things. I say, yes, but you have not lived in 1920, <laughs> you have not lived in 1940. So you say that there is evil, no doubt, but you, if you see even these 100 years, 150 years, 150th year of Sri Aurobindo, we will see that how things begin to change. Look at the state of women, look at the state of youth, look at the state of education, health. So there is, despite all this, things tend to disintegrate, the fixed order breaks down. But out of that, a new order emerges and constantly this efflorescence is going on in life and in creation. So uh, death slowly starts getting a bit of convinced and it says, okay, I see that, but... uh, Uh, It is still because I am the one who is... Now he starts bragging. He says, uh, like many people say that all this is a natural process. Why bring in God into it? Though it's a very absurd argument. I often say that, you know, look at... uh, I mean, I I compare this. I I have studied the human brain. And when I compare it with the uh, computer and even artificial intelligence now that we have created. Now how the human brain has evolved... To catch thoughts from a wide range of things and to take into itself and it picks up vibrations from all over the world. And it picks up and it begins to take shape in the form of a string of words and sentences and gives it a meaning and it appears as speech written or spoken. It's an amazing marvel and to say that all this has just appeared somehow is, you know, through random events, through chance events, is stretching it too far. So, uh, Savitri reveals to that, that no, it's not the way you describe. You believe you are Almighty, well, you are an aspect of God and you have your own place. Um, And your place is essentially to create a balance in creation between the, it's very interesting, existence balanced between two extremes. So on one side there is the force which pulls down, on the other side there is a force which pulls up towards the centre because of which existence remains in balance. This is a very fascinating uh, thought. For example, if there was no inconscience, frankly there would be no creation because the force of attraction of the centre would be so strong. That anything which emerges will immediately go back. It's this. This is very beautifully described in one of the stories in Indian thought of Sanat Kumar, where they were uh, their children of Brahma, and they were asked to create, and they went two steps and turned back. <laughs> no, no, we don't want to create. So, the, when the force will be so strong, we will immediately get back. There will be no creation. So there has to be an equally strong opposition. And now, when there is an equally strong opposition, little by little, there is things are extracted, um, pressing in the, you know, uh, pressing of the wine of God, we may say, then slowly names and forms that can endure, uh, feelings that can last, thoughts that can try to reach out, and the individual, without losing his individuality, can become one with God. Because uh, this this is the whole game plan. So Savitri starts revealing this. That you know, you think you are all powerful. But you know, it is the divine who has assumed this mask. And you don't understand that there is divine hidden within you. And you are simply his mask. And you have a place. You have a role to do. You have your own instrumentality. But you have now, the time has come for you to now give way to something still higher that is going to come. And which we know is the... Mother and Shobindo's word, that is a supramental creation. Now, that in that creation, this force of degeneration, this force of disintegration, this force uh, which drags everything to the shadow, toward the shadow, to the precipice, will be annulled by the uh, contrary current, by the force which draws us toward the divine. And yet, we can remain as individuals. As conscious divinities, the body, mind, life, heart, everything can remain. Conscious divinities, it can become a mold of divine over which death has no hold. Now this sounds ultimately, uh, even by any stretch of logic, death says how can that be? Because if somebody is born here, this is the realm where I govern according to my law. This is the law that God has created, the law of death. He concedes, he says, okay, okay, there is a God, I agree, there is a divine, I don't want to argue with you, but divine has made this law that all that takes form must be, must die, that's my job description. You can't snatch away that. And that's when Savitri reveals to him that, well, I am here, I am representing that power of God which is here to change the law. Now, this is something very interesting. That it is he who has made the law and it is he who comes to change the law. Uh, this is something very beautiful. Shirobindo uh, tells in one of the aphorisms that comes to my mind is that if God keeps you with one hand, hand in hell and with the other hand, this is about unity, uh, a thought where you know you unify these diverse aspects. And with the other hand, he pulls you towards heaven. You must struggle towards heaven. Because that's how the uh, stage of evolution is. So, she reveals that, well, you have reigned so far, but the time has come that within this um, mortal realm where you had governed, you have done your job, you have made sure that there is a balance between these two forces and now stable forms have been created which can remain, complex forms have evolved. Now these forms can become divinized without being... Uh, dissolved by the uh, tremendous light and blaze and power of the sun So this is the, uh, this was the original problem That on one side these forms can be dissolved by th- in that super conscient light Because it is so powerful they cannot endure On the other side they can disintegrate into darkness So now they have reached a f- uh, point where these forms can At least a few forms can escape from the law of death can remain here because they have been nourished by the light uh, so much that they can endure the light and yet not be uh, yet not dissolve towards that. So how the divine has accomplished this plan, Savitri reveals that, that well, as creation appears from out of darkness, uh, there is sown in the bed of creation a seed of the divine, a portion of the divine. Uh, that's what will grow into a psychic being. This seed is like, we can imagine a chip which is all the time connected with the divine. It's like a little thief who has entered into the realm of death. And it has entered there to repatriate immortality. And this little chip within is constantly in contact with the divine and it keeps on invoking the divine presence. And the divine comes and together we see creation is being pulled out. And pulled out, and death believes that it has destroyed things, but this is an indestructible, immortal element within us, which is the psychic being. It grows and develops into the psychic being. So, this is the whole plan which death reveals, uh, which Savitri reveals to death. And at the end, of course, we know that death is convinced, but not convinced. He says, Okay, all this sounds very convincing, but show me your power. And then Savitri has that grand revelation, and uh, when that revelation comes, Death dies, and um, ignorance enslaving man is gone forever it it death over a period of time it has governed it it believes that it is the ruler, and we can't uh, blame him for that. he has governed things in a certain way for millenniums, and therefore it doesn't easily concede to the reign of uh, the divine. And when we see from this point of view, this high standpoint, then another paradox appears. When we look at from one extreme of death, we say that there is no divine. When we look at it from the divine standpoint, we see there is no death. Death cannot be, actually logically it cannot be. This used to be my... Does death exist is a, what is known as an oxymoron. Death is a denial of existence It destroys existence How can that exist Which destroys existence It eats up existence So it has become fat Because that is its process So it exists and yet it doesn't exist That is the riddle of the sphinx It is and it is not So who has given us this huge formidable power It is the mask of God It draws its power from the divine And we give it power Because we uh, directly or indirectly believe in its omnipotence and believe that ultimately that is the end of things. So we we must, uh, in this debate of uh, love and death, in all of us this debate goes on and this debate goes on at all the levels. In the mind it goes on in the form of doubt, just like Messer's death and company, our mind doubts the possibility of a beautiful future or a divine future, or a divinized body, a divinized mind, or mind doubts. Just like, uh, you know, when, when we take side with death, when our heart says there is no possibility of immortal love, eternal love. All is simply a play of glands and nerves and excitement and sexuality and passion and physical attraction and vital charm. When we do that, then basically we are feeding death. That's how the monster grows each time we say our body what can we do it is subject to death because that's how it that is the law we are feeding death but when we say when our thought when our mind says no there is a possibility that our minds can be invaded by the light and its darkest chambers can be lit up a mind of light replaces the mind of ignorance then we are with savitri when we say that there is possible in the heart shrine that love can Be established on its throne In its pristine purity and power Untarnished Undiminished By any amount of oppositions Then we can say that We are with Savitri When we say that The body itself can become a shrine And a temple of God Then we are basically On the side of Savitri So this debate goes on in all of us I will just read a few lines From here and there so i i am not going to read uh, the voice of death because we are we will be very conversant with it but we will see this journey through death in this uh, book 9 and book 10 and it takes place through these six cantos very quickly so we have part 3 book 9 book of the book of eternal light canto 1 and canto 2 and in this this is the stage from where we all begin and here darkness and death reigns. So when a when a human being is in this stage of evolution, there is, um, there is no question of anything beyond the material frame of senses. Then there is the book of double twilight, the dream twilight of the ideal. This is a stage when human beings begin to have some kind of an idealism. Possible, yes, this is possible. But very soon, as we know that every ideal is dashed to the ground, unfortunately... Because we have parents and teachers and the society elders who tell us that, well, to think of an ideal is uh, to be a madman and be practical, be grounded and basically they are all spokesperson of death when people say so. So, so, that's why we see more and more revolt against uh, all this, uh, you know, (laughs) generation which which, uh, clipped our wings to put us to the ground. Now... Then death says, no, no, you may try to fly, but see what I have done to all of them. See the avatars, the sages, the saints. I have clipped their wings. Your parents are right, your teachers are right, your elders are right, society is right. Don't try to fly. Be a bird in the cage. Your wings look good, but they are not meant to explore the skies. So, Savitri stands for all of us. Those of us who continue to uh, aspire for Heights and widenesses and Light and beauty and bliss And love in this world Savitri stand by our side It is these souls who are Satyavan And these souls When they surrender themselves to the Divine Mother She fights our battle Death will oppose It will try every which way In fact they have to face a much tougher battle Because death knows somehow That if these fellows escape my law Then there will be a problem My reign will go So death will oppose and that's what we see in the debate of love and death. It takes place within the ground of human beings. And then finally dream to a light of the earthly real. When this debate is carried right down to the earth in the den of death in the subconscious, where ultimately Savitri illumines it and darkness is chased away by the light. So this is the journey and as I said it's the journey of creation, it's the journey of each soul. And uh, this uh, debate goes on in every one of us. So there are just some key points I'll read out in this debate of love and death. I'm not reading the gospel of uh, love and um, gospel of death. Mm, We'll read it in many of the books and many universities specialize in, uh, you know, PhD in death. All their thoughts, all their their teachers uh, will hear it everywhere. So, now... What does Savitri say? One of them. (coughs) She just traces the journey of man from what stage? From the early humanity which is more like an animal. A reasoning animal willed and planned and sought. Page 622. He stood erect among his brute compares. This has happened. So, she is telling death that, look here, you couldn't stop evolution. If you were so powerful, then evolution would have been arrested at the animal level. But there is somebody hiding inside you, the evolutionary power, which you yourself don't know. What is that evolutionary power? It is the Shakti. Death doesn't know that. It says, it is this which has given you the power and it can tear away your mask. In one moment, and it is, see how, how despite yourself, what has happened? He built life new, measured the universe, opposed his fate and wrestled with unseen powers, conquered and used the laws that rule the world, and hoped to ride the heavens and reach the stars. A master of his huge environment, now through mind's windows, stares the demigod. So, uh, we take life for granted because we see it in a narrow bandwidth. Uh, today, you know, people are quite... they take it for granted that, well, we can travel travel by air and we can travel even to distant stars. But uh, when we look at where man was 500 years back, then it looks amazing. And that's how we have to look at life as in on an evolutionary continuum. So, this is the first thing that... Uh, Savitri reveals to that. And the second thing. O death, thou lookest on an unfinished world. That evolution is not yet over. The journey of the soul does not end suddenly and abruptly at the last finishing line of nirvana. This journey will continue further until the work for which it, darkness was seeded by these little pulse of light, which is to pull out all the possibilities from the darkness and ultimately transmute them into trees of light. So, this is why, Assailed by the end of its road unsure, Peopled by imperfect minds and ignorant lives, And seest God is not and all is vain. This, this is the standard argument. That well, okay, agreed, man has developed so far. But see where he is going. Everybody is a soothsayer. See, he is going to destroy himself. Look at here and look at there. See, man is still committing deeds which are so horrendous. Savitri's reply is, How shall the child already be the man? Even our mental evolution is not yet over. It has entered the accelerated phase. And its critical phase is now the artificial intelligence, where we are making a machine which can potentially go past us. So, mental evolution has entered into a very rapid phase since the last hundred, hundred fifty years and Shabindu said one of the reasons, uh, one of the signs that the uh, super mind and the next creation is uh, evident and even it is imperative is because knowledge has begun to burst beyond the seams. So, because how shall the child already be the man? Because he is infant, shall he never grow Because he is ignorant, shall he never learn? In a small fragile seed, a great tree lurks. In a tiny gene, a thinking being is shut. A little element, in a little sperm, it grows and is a conqueror and a sage. So Savitri points to death, look here. Miracle is happening right below your feet. Right from beneath your paws, life is escaping. You haven't looked at it. You think you are swallowing it in your jaw, but again it returns. And slowly you see this lie, which is escaping from beneath your paws. One day it will become aware that where it has come from. And that is the day when you will die. And that's, that's the story of the Sphinx. So this is the second truth that Savitri reveals. And then she reveals the reason why this world is. In God concealed, the world began to be. The world is God concealed, And the world will one day become God fulfilled in outwardness. It's such a beautiful thought to live by that, you know, uh, this world was created to manifest God. This is something unique to Sri thought. It is neither an accident nor a chance random event. It is not an illusion in the way it is understood. It's an illusion only in the sense that uh, it does not express the reality as it should. But it's not an illusion in the sense that it is non-existent dream. It is not just a dream. Death keeps saying it's a dream. Therefore, it is not reality. But all these dreams press towards becoming real. This is the beauty of dream. Every thought, every feeling has a natural tendency to express itself in material terms. And many express, many do not. But uh, these are the dreams of the future that God plants within us. Tardily it travels towards manifest God. Our imperfection towards perfection toils. The body is the chrysalis of a soul. So this is what Savitri reveals to death and closes with, This world is God fulfilled in outwardness. And then she agrees that, well, there are dangerous powers, there is evil, all that is there. But what one has to see, in fact, it bites contrast uh, at least, I have often wondered that, you know, we make such stories of evil and everything. It's there. But despite all this, there is goodness. I mean, you travel and once in a, in a while, your luggage gets lost on the flight and uh, old days, train, somebody stole it. But look at the countless times that nothing happens. This is something amazing. I have gone in India in bikaner without locking the door we have both have gone out for two days of course we didn't know we forgot that we had to lock the door and the door was open even it was ajar and after two days when we came back we saw that uh, we saw that lock is open when we go inside everything is intact so when we look at life there is lot of goodness love beauty In spite of death and evil that's where we have to see so and then she speaks about the dual nature which we said, and <coughs> he says that you know what divine is very much there, but it's your mask that has covered covered the divine's face, and there is a purpose. He has allowed it. Now, why has he allowed it? You see, uh, if you look at um, you know, a, imagine there is a lampshade and there is a bulb. So this is very interesting. So in the in the beginning. If the material of the lamp, uh, the outer covering of the bulb, there is the tungsten filament and there is the bulb, that is the uh, outer, uh, what is it called, the the, the the lamp the or the bulb, its cover. Now it, you know, there has to be a correct match. If the tungsten filament heats up very much, the bulb will burst. So how did, uh, how things happen? People started discovering more and more material which can resist greater and greater temperature. They started uh, discovering filaments which will not, uh, you know, it will give light but not heat so much. So, it will conserve and eventually now we have um, wonderful bulbs with very little wastage uh, uh, even lit up by the solar panels and the outer covering can, um, it is completely safe and it will transmit the light without any any absorption within itself, without any loss. This is exactly what is happening with the human body and the soul. So, slowly the soul is growing more and more and the human body and the mind, they are becoming adapted to the growing light. Where is the light growing? It is growing in our inner being. That's how we think and aspire and we, we still look for the ideal. Because if we look outside, we will be disheartened. So as it grows The body also has to keep pace This is the challenge actually Of evolution That if the consciousness grows At a very rapid pace And the body and mind do not They will break down They cannot hold it That's why we hear some of the yogis Who left very early On the other hand We can grow to a point And just keep the body in a status quo For a very long time By superimposing The law of a you know, uh, higher world upon it. But here, the very body must be transmuted to to hold this uh, greater and tremendous consciousness, the supramental consciousness in light. So on one side, the soul has to develop, the inner being has to grow to a point where it can access and open to this consciousness without breakdown. Because otherwise, its measures are going to go away. That's why it's a long journey. That's why it's a... A uh, lot of challenges. That's why the shadow is allowed. It continues till till it has a time come when the covering becomes so thin and so translucent that it can transmit the inner light. And one example of that, people often ask, <laughs> where is the sample? I tell them, look at Mother and Shorabinda, they are the sample. <laughs> when you look at them, you see that sample and when you read the stories of the darshan and many of the stories, the mantle has become almost translucent. You can almost sense the divinity right inside. So, this is the whole game plan and Savitri reveals to death all these truths and then many beautiful things and then she says, don't make a gospel of sorrow and suffering because she uses the word for death is heat of the sorrow of the world. He builds a philosophy out of, you know. He finds sorrow very tasteful. He he writes uh, beautiful epics of sorrow and horror and doom. He says, no, no, no. That's your champion of a sad philosophy. But she says, a hidden bliss is at the root of things. A mute delight regards times, countless works to house God's joy in things space gave wide room to house. God's joy in self, our souls were born. There is a joy in all that meets the sense, a joy in all experience of the soul, a joy in evil and a joy in good, a joy in virtue and a joy in sin, indifferent to the threat of karmic law. Joy dares to grow on forbidden soil. <laughs> so this goes on and um, I'm just rushing through. And then she, t- he, she shows to death that, look here, uh, You are seeing things in a very static way. You are not seeing what is happening right from beneath your feet, from the shadow what is emerging. This is page 632. If out of the void this grand creation rose, for this the spirit came into the abyss, And charged with its power, matter's unknowing force. In night's bare session, to cathedral light. In death's realm, repatriate immortality. Mystic slow transfiguration works. All our earth starts from mud and ends in sky. It's true with everything. Knowledge, it starts with bits of information sensory and it grows into such super fast calculations within the mind of man. Love, joy, they start from very small little things. Sometimes ignoble things and ignoble ways. And it grows into a point where love can remain. I have seen, I mean, one story which touches me about uh, a lady who came here um, after one year of marriage because she wanted to be in the ashram and be with mother and Shurubhindo. And those days... Indian husband and he he said okay. Now this part is easier to understand. After decades when she fell ill and she needed some kind of help of course the ashram would provide. This man came to know. He had never married. He came all the way and he was by her side right through that you know passage transition. Now these are the real stories that you know love survives death. It, it was not dependent on any external reward or gift. And there are countless stories uh, which, you know, we, each one of us can recount. All over earth starts from mud and ends in sky and love that was once an animal's desire. Then a sweet madness in the rapturous heart, an ardent comradeship in the happy mind becomes a wide spiritual yearnings space, a lonely soul passions for the alone. The heart that loved man thrills to the love of God. And he, this is not the end. Then it comes out and embraces this whole creation with that divine love. Now, we we look at how music has evolved, how joy has evolved. What was the kind of joy human beings found in things? Now, at its highest, one finds joy in spiritual philosophy, in spiritual thought, in you know, contemplating the divine, sees how all these powers have evolved over a period of time And she reminds and she says, well, this is what is happening And uh, death tries to challenge that, no, no, you are a human being, don't say such thing She says, yes, I am a human being, but I am a bridge What you are not seeing is that I am the divine who has taken a human birth So here it's about the avatar who comes first to do this for us and for the rest, uh, the, the rest follow in its wake. so one more little passage and then i am going to stop so uh, we we have entered into the next um, next uh, canto the dream twilight of the earthly real and i'll just read actually it's so beautiful uh, one doesn't feel like stopping once savitri is in the hand <laughs> and you know one but i'll just read one passage i know <laughs> all evolution takes a long time and reading shrivinda takes long and savitri's delight takes long but uh, we we have less time so okay so page 648 how says thou truth can never light the human mind and bliss can never invade the mortal's heart or god descend into the world he made if in the meaningless void creation rose If from a bodiless force matter was born If life could climb in the unconscious tree Its green delight break into emerald leaves And its laughter of beauty blossom in the flower If sense could wake in tissue, nerve and cell And thought sees the grey matter of the brain And soul peep from its secrecy through the flesh. How shall the nameless light not leap on men? And unknown powers emerge from nature's sleep. Even now hints of a luminous truth like stars arise in the mind mooned splendor of ignorance. Even now the deathless lover's touch we feel. If the chamber's door is even a little ajar, What then can hinder God from stealing in or who forbid his kiss on the sleeping soul? So, this is the story of creation and we are part of that story. Each of us has a role to play, but the main story is about the journey from darkness to light. First phase of the journey. The second phase is transmutation of darkness into light. The first phase is of course we are all aware of it and within that also itself there is something else that may the light hidden in the darkness reveal itself so that darkness itself turns into light. It had a purpose, it still has a purpose because uh, uh, as I said otherwise if we don't balance existence between these two arms, so it still has a purpose and there is a bulk of creation in which Uh, Ignorance is like a protecting shade. But there is a group of humanity which has crossed the um, crucial strip, bandwidth of humanity, Uh, human uh, within which the average human consciousness moves. And they are not uh, satisfied with the solution of nirvana. They don't seek nirvana. They want this perfection to be established upon earth. There is a Humanity, which is becoming more and more conscious of it, and we can hear its cry all over the world. And it is for them that Savitri has come, the divine mother and Shubindo, and opened uh, this new possibility. Not only they have opened, as the mother said, that when she, you know, Shobindo's body, when it was interned in the samadhi. I I would never say Shirobindo was interned in the Samadhi, but the body, because he said, O oh thou who hast been the material envelope of a master. Uh, so, that first, first uh, pioneers of the new race, so they have opened the doors of this possibility, of the transmutation of death, of the transmutation of suffering, transmutation of death into immortality, of the transmutation of suffering into bliss, transmutation of um, unconsciousness into consciousness, transmutation of falsehood into truth and all this through the labour of love that the Divine Mother represents. And this love is the love which has bound the darkness with the light above. Uh, Just a couple of minutes more since it is 9th of December, a very special day. Uh, We do not uh, understand, just look at it, how Sherbindo. And the mother in 1926, 24th November, they had an option to go all by themselves. They had arrived at that point, Siddhi. His individual yoga was complete and all that was necessary to go ahead and supramentalize themselves. But it is that love because of which they tied themselves to all us ignorant humanity. So he was advancing and everybody was advancing. But then... Imagine the state of a leader who is advancing and while all others are pulling him backward. That's why the mother said, lack of receptivity of the earth and men. So what did Sri Aurobindo do? He gave, gave the charge to the mother and plunged into that which was pulling everybody backward. Which was the cause, the resistance. And as he went, the supramental light, which he was all the time, his body was... Uh, His body, mind, everything was holding that light like a hub, receiver and transmitter because it was not manifested in the world. So he plunged with that light and the light went with him into the inconscient where he fixed it, so to say. Five days are enough to fix that light into matter. And hence we know that 29th February 56, the time from which the new manifestation has begun. And uh, yes, death still speaks, it will whisper, it will say it is impossible, it will say all this is dream, it will say yet another um, gospel giving us yet another hope. But we must remember that in all the previous hopes given in gospels, basically the the prophet, whether it be Christ or Krishna, the avatar, Buddha, have spoken of a second coming Because they knew they came, they prepared and they have to come again to fulfill. But Shurabindo speaks of the second coming in the sense only of a supramental body. So it is the complete fulfillment. And I take it that all the culmination of all the works of the previous avatars ultimately finds its fulfillment in and through Shirobindo. And through them, fulfillment in earth... And that section of humanity which is ready for the new creation. The very presence of such a humanity is going to tilt the balance and alter the way of our earthly life just as the presence of even a higher humanity changes their neighbourhood. Because people begin to look up and look that side. And it has obviously altered the animal world. So this higher humanity which is in the making, not just the higher but the superhumanity of the future, Divine superhumanity is in the making in different stages and the more, the sooner, the better for earth and mankind. So thank you so much. Yeah, if there are questions, I'll be happy to take. Yes, there are a few questions here. Yes, please. For the beautiful ground of all, the, all our, our series, this
1: is the most important answer about death. Uh, because we take it for granted and we do not understand its uh, nature from the highest point of view. Uh, I have um, actually uh, one question before um, I read other questions.
0: Yes, please. Which is kind of
1: um, implied in the future manifestation when, uh, you know, when the Lord already gave her all the boons to Savitri. Then he tells her how he will persuade her hunt her in the bliss and terrible desire in the tempest and the vile, in the in the pains of hell yeah. me, to thee my case and so on so this ecstatic message of of not kind of building up some happy you know paradise world where everything is uh, okay, and that's it. It's a, it's a tempest. It's a, it has an abyss. It has the heights. So, how would you comment on this? I would be very interested to hear.
0: I would uh, say that it's uh, we have all found ways to escape the storm, but this is about entering into the storm and changing into rhythmic winds. So that's how I would say. So we cannot do it unless we enter the storm. Uh, rising above the storm is necessary. And in Savitri, we have those lines, page uh, 633, which I was reading, that the first victory over death is to rise above it, not to be affected by it. But once that is done, then that boon comes for those who have already had this first conquest. And it is they who are challenged to the utmost. And uh, we have those lines, My fiercest masks shall my greatest attractions bring. So, this work is in two steps. First is, of course, to rise above death, not to be afraid of death, to even know that there is within us this secret soul, uh, this immortality. Not just know mentally, but be one with it and not to be afraid, not to tremble at death. Look at it with calm eyes. Then one enters into this deeper work. And in that deeper work, yes, the tempest and the storm, they come in the way and instead of trying to run away or escape from uh, these things which are right now part of the earth nature one enters into it but because one enters with the force of harmony and order slowly this harmony and order begins to tame the winds and i am i am reminded of uh, one mother's experience and one an image from everyday life so uh, mother's experience is when she is sailing on the ship and coming to the uh, you know, to to Pondicherry, and on the way there is uh, this was I think when she was changing the ship from uh, one place to another. But nevertheless, the the travel was for Pondicherry, and suddenly there is a storm, turbulent winds, and um, she goes into a chamber, and she she goes down to see what's the problem, and she sees there small little vital entities which are trying to create turbulence, and then what does she do? She tells them, calm down, calm down, calm down. They become calm. And she writes it in a prayer that, Lord, your intervention was felt yesterday. So, it's very amazing that the victory of calm and peace over forces of turbulence and disorder. Now, the other is, of course, we all see this in a little way in our own lives, that sometime when there is uh, disorder around us, um, any collective life... um, There is a tendency to want to escape. Ashram is no exception. So, everybody wants to escape. Say, you know, like somebody wrote, Auroville, utopia gone uh, wrong. Even somebody wrote dystopia. You want to run away, you run away. That's okay. People have been running away for centuries. But there are those who will continue to uh, take that on But they will not continue to take that on In the sense of fight and struggle And proving a point But they will continue to release forces of harmony And order and peace Till one day All this will begin to All these turbulent winds That's why the mother says uh, In Savitri, Ishya says about the mother uh, Rather Savitri says that That even those who leapt in revolts The dark deities they too are safe, a mother's arms desires her rebel sons. So basically, that's what it means that this is not a yoga where one just wants to find some comfort zones uh, and then retire into that solitude and sure, in those solitude is a battle. We all know that. So it's not that kind of yoga. Uh, in fact, we'll be chased by the storm wherever we go because, because this is the task that has been undertaken. But we are not alone, Divine Mother is there, she fights our battles. So that's what it means. Yeah. There's a joy to know that uh, she has picked us for the Kurukshetra and not for the, uh, only the dance in Vrindavan. <laughs> so it's okay. There are a few more questions. Yes, please. Hello, sir. I have a question.
1: How does one study without aspiring for the result? With what aim do we study? Because I always feel as if I can do more and get a better grade.
0: Yes, so see, that is unfortunately like things have been so badly mixed. Study was never meant for grades. Study was always to understand. I mean, at least that's how I understood things. But I know nowadays grades are given so much importance and, you know, uh, it's all a world knit by... Uh, desire, ambition and, you know, what you may get whether in terms of a better placement, money and all the rest. So, that's not an area where I would like to come But basically, study is always meant to understand and uh, know better. And uh, my personal feeling is also what I have seen that if one does that, ultimately you actually get good grades. Uh, I mean, that's the best way to study because you, you get the fundamentals, you understand it. So, uh, my answer would be that, Um, don't look at grades how can one do it well because study for the joy of study you will retain much more and uh, understand um, see things from different different perspective in in my medical school I couldn't uh, read the same book twice I thought it's so boring to remember I want to know new things so it's it's a joy so I think one should um, every action that we do must be for the joy of it and every action has a certain purpose studies is for knowledge uh, and understanding things better. Even the most mundane kinds of things. And we should get the joy for it. Not be carried away by the world around. <laughs> they Few who stand um, against the norm, they may become the new normal. So, we should put it like that. Yeah. yeah thank you so much. There is another question. How do we get...
1: Over fear of adverse forces attacking us has become closer to the
0: divine. Oh we recently come to God,
1: but I feel the closer I get, the more difficulties I get. I know you have explained the difference between suffering and difficulties, but regardless.
0: Ah. So, I'll put it, um, um, I'll, I'll put it across uh, as two things, uh, examples. One is, you know, uh, I'm reminded of a small little anecdote. Someone says, you know, what happens when you love and uh, you get hate in return? What you should do? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the answer was very beautiful. Increase the dose of love. Okay. So, basically, <laughs> don't think of adverse forces. This is the ultimate advice. Mother says, laugh at the adversary. When you don't, uh, you see, we give them too much importance that they exist. They exi- yes, they exist. It's okay. I had the real experience of this. Uh, I was told there is a ghost which exists in this uh, uh, desiré place and I was told don't uh, go there. And I said, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and the ghost came three times, uh, ghost or whatever. And I ultimately said, see, I don't want to harm you. You be in your place. I will be in my place. You are also mother's child. Prayed to mother and things were sorted out. So basically, don't give it importance. Fear is what attracts them and fear gives them too much importance. Don't look at the difficulty, look at the grace. How much ever the difficulty, and this I am saying from very, very hard experiences. That don't look at the difficulties, don't give it importance. It is there, it has its place. Keep on knowing that the divine is with us and... Keep on focusing on the divine. Keep on increasing the aspiration. The answer would be, keep increasing the aspiration till before that fire all difficulties melt away. First within us, because they will no more seem as difficulties. They, they, they are no more important or relevant to us. And um, secondly, before that growing aspiration, outwardly also they tend to dissolve. So increase in aspiration, have faith. Wherever you see an adverse force, look behind and say the divine is everywhere and in everything. This is the fundamental experience of this yoga. It does not mean that one starts embracing everything and says, come let's party. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that behind everything, we have to learn to see the divine. So whatever be the difficulties, yes, they are there. They are all over the world. And uh, let's not give them importance. Mother has used a word, laugh at the adversary. Another place he says, go past the adversary. Don't notice that he exists. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. There is another question from the same person.
1: What is the difference between present and being absent-minded? Okay. You know, God always says, do not worry about the future or living in the past, but instead to be present and to do everything for divine. But I'm afraid that if I am present and do not worry about tomorrow, I'm going to miss something that needs to be completed today so that tomorrow will go smooth.
0: Yes. So, there are truths of two different levels. It is the same thing like all is one. It applies at one level, but there is also the many. Vidya, Vidya, Ancha, Yastadvita, Bhamsa. So, it doesn't mean that uh, we don't plan, we have a uh, work to do tomorrow and we have an appointment at 10 o'clock and we just completely forget about it and uh, suddenly something will happen. It doesn't mean that. Uh, what it means is that uh, you have that, You have. you have to go toward that, in that sense, as far as the practical side is concerned. We have to keep our things intact. We have an appointment with the doctor. We should be there in time if we want to go to the doctor. But we should not let that hang at this point of time in the present moment. We have an interview tomorrow. It's fine. But today I start, you know, worrying about it. So, it is a cure for worry. So, it's about you know, uh, people worry too much and they think, what is going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? To always have that luminous trust that yes, prepare, do your work, what whatever one has to do. But instead of worry, do what you need to do at this point of time. Uh, I know a person, he used to say very uh, nicely this whole thing. Uh, Of course, this live in the present has been used in various ways and I'll just come to it in a moment. So, he used to say, if you think by worrying, things can get sorted out. Let's all of us sit together and worry. So, now, you know, this doesn't help. So, what I should do in the present for whatever is going may come or may not come. Maybe I can analyze and see that, well, it's just my apprehension and fear. So, Living in the present implies all those things. I am talking of a practical point of view. But from the deepest standpoint, live in the highest present. I would say that. And that's what Mother recommends. The best attitude, even if there is an arm of an assassin, if you live in your highest state, completely surrendered to the Divine, then the arm will drop. So basically, we should uh, qualify the present. Live in the highest present. Because present would mean many things. Present could mean an impulse wave of anger Present could mean a fit of uh, fear So live in the highest present If possible the eternal present That's very difficult So let's not talk about that But at least our highest present Highest present is uh, surrender Highest present is uh, aspiration toward the divine So it means live in that highest attitude all the time While we are doing all that we need to do For tomorrow and the day after rather than letting fear, worry, and all these come in. That's what it means. Yeah. It is, um, um, maybe Radha would like to say something. Please. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, Dr. Pandey,
1: thank you so much. I am um, not so much a question, but really just wanted to express our gratitude for all your support. As you were speaking here, on every single new series... Uh, that we announced this year, new perspectives you participated in and shared your your knowledge and wisdom with our community, and the same with our Integral Yoga uh, retreats every summer that you take your time to c- come out and be with us in our community. So I just really wanted to express my uh, sincere gratitude and appreciation, not just mine, but Vladimir's, so
0: the the Rama family, Lagrasse. We're, we're truly uh, appreciative of all that uh, that you have done for our and yeah. the community it's it's truly it's truly a joy to be in her service so my gratitude that we get opportunity to serve her get opportunity to connect with such wonderful uh, you know uh, co-traveler souls so thank you so much for this satsang and this yagya yes thank you